is a good morning. It's starting to get hot. We got out of the car and my son thought that we had missed um, the life enrichment hour because it was already so hot. He's like, it can't be this hot this early. We must have missed something. It's like, no, it's that hot. And it's supposed to get, it's going to be hot this week. Um, I'm actually going to try an experiment. This is our plan. I'm going to put chocolate chip cookies on a pan and leave them in my car and see what happens. Uh, you know, is this supposed to get in the hundreds this week? It's uh, that's that's a crazy stuff. Hey, before we um, get into today's word, I just want to uh, point out a few things to you. Um, and so, you know, Shelby's already mentioned we got this uh, new little uh, uh, tool within our church, um, the Willow Bend Church app. And so. Uh, just something that is is new to us, and we invite your feedback. Um, uh, if you don't know, um, God had me ministering in a town of 2,000 people prior to, prior to coming here. And there in that little town, anything technology-related was unwelcome. All right? So this is new to me to be used like a piece of technology. Um, but there's this, uh, there's this button, if you'll download the Willow Bend app, called Connect. Like, like every week, we'll pick a place that we can go, we'll just invite everyone to go eat at. It's hard for me to pick places to eat um, because um, I'm just new around here. But like you could help me by clicking on that little connect thing and there's a little comment section, all right? And you could say, hey, Brother Bob, why don't you pick this restaurant one week? Because, um, you know, like y'all work like all over the place and uh, uh, some of us, we don't mind traveling for lunch. And uh, so, hey, if, uh, if you'd like us to visit your neck of the woods, that's a mechanism that you could uh, help me out there. Because, again, it's, a, it's just difficult. Now, um, this week, we are all invited to Cowboy Chicken just down the road here on Park. And, again, if you got the new little app, Glenn, you're always asking me where we're going. All right. In the app, it says Lunch Bunch, and it gives the address. So, again, a mechanism for us to communicate and uh, the other thing is, we do want to communicate. We're, we're going to start sending out, a, in case you missed it, um, uh, uh, just an email and newsletter every week, in case you missed it. Because, I mean, three of y'all were on vacation that I know of last week, okay? Welcome back. Glad y'all are back. But you missed some stuff. And uh, we want you to be able to not miss anything. And so, um, But I, we need your uh, contact information. Um, and if I don't have your email, I can't fill you in. So... Uh, fill out a form for us, submit it in the app, get it to us some way, somehow. We'll make sure that you don't miss anything. And the last thing I want to just tell you, uh, next week, starting a new life enrichment class. This, this, this hour before we meet uh, here for worship is a great opportunity for you to grow in God's word. All right. Uh, God's presence and his word transforms us. Um, you will stay the same. Apart from God's word, his presence, and really his people, because that's where he really rubs off the, the, the rough edges on us, all right? Um, and so we got a new life enrichment class going. Uh, it's uh, based off a Max Lucado book called Just Like Jesus. The idea is God loves you just the way that you are, but loves you too much to leave you that way. And he wants all of us to eventually become more like Jesus, just like Jesus. And so I want to invite you into that, that class. If you are not plugged in already, um, why don't you come a little bit earlier on a Sunday? You'll be glad that you did, okay? So we have been, um, today we're going to wrap up our study of fallen heroes in the Bible. Um, today we're, I've saved the biggest hero um, for last, but let me just give you a quick recap. 
We've, we looked at Saul, first king of Israel. And what caused Saul's fall was he was just selfish. Everything was about him. We looked at the prophet Elijah. God used Elijah mightily. But what took Elijah down was he had an unrealistic and unhealthy fear. All right? We all have fears. Some of them are, are healthy fears and good fears. Some of them prevent us from walking in the, the ways that God would have us. That, that they, they keep us from taking the steps of faith um, that would lead us to greater things. We looked at Jonah. And he was a fellow who just flat out rebelled against God. Saying, I know what you want, but I'm going to do it my way. We looked at Samson. Um, we looked at what happens when your relationship with God is based on your convenience rather than on a commitment to him. And so when you're just doing things because, well, that works for you, but it's not because you're committed to him, there's a downfall that can happen to that. We looked at a fellow named Jephthah. He's probably my favorite because few people know his story. But Jephthah shows us the danger of having a strong faith and a weak theology. See, when you look at the story of Jephthah, Jephthah believed in God. He just didn't know God, and it led him to... He ended up losing his daughter because of it. Uh, we looked at Sarah and what happens when you try to make God's will happen on your own. You try to manipulate things to try to get God's will working in other people's lives and it can lead to a mess. Last week we looked at David and what happens to you when you, when, when you are not where God wants you to be. That you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and how temptation and sin will find you. And today, the biggest hero in the Old Testament is Moses. In fact, only Jesus, the sinless son of God, is a bigger hero in the scriptures than that of Moses. I mean, in fact, here's what God says about Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10, it says, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Moses, no one else got used like Moses did. However, even though Moses was this great hero, that there's not a greater hero in the Old Testament than Moses, even though no other person has been used by God in such mighty ways, Moses was a leader he was a man of faith. He, he, he towers above other heroes, but, but just like other heroes used by God, Moses was a man who had flaws and failings. And God chose to use this imperfect man to be a leader. And, but Moses did not always lead perfectly. He led greatly, but not perfectly. And he had some flaws. And like other leaders, he sometimes yielded to the voice of the people rather than to yield to the word of God. And even the great Moses made mistakes and failed. Even Moses fell and missed out on what could have been because, and because of that, he faced consequences. So I want to show you where he, uh, he messes up. Let's just start with his consequence. If you got your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And you're going to find this from God. Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 48. It says, that very day, the Lord spoke to Moses. Go up to this mountain of Abiram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel for a possession. 
and die on the mountain which you go up. And be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother died at Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. And because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I'm giving to the people of Israel. See what's going on here. God is about to fulfill his promise that he made to Abraham just over 600 years before. Moses had led the people out of slavery in Egypt. And for 40 years in the wilderness, he's been leading them. Leading them until they were ready to enter into what was called the promised land. Because God had promised them this land. Now the people, they are ready. And God is bringing them into a land of their own. And this is, this is a big moment. They've been waiting for this for for, for millennia, for, you know, and this group has been, has been wandering the wilderness for decades. God has brought them to this place. Um, but because of their lack of faith, they had been here once before, and because of their lack of faith, God said, all right, a generation is going to have to die out until you learn to trust me. And so they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. Now they're back. Listen, have any of you ever taken a long trip with children? Where are we going? Are we there yet? For 40 years, Moses has been answering that same question. Where are we going to the promised land? Are we there yet? Not yet. This is a big moment. This is a finally. Yet for Moses, he is not allowed to experience the promised land. That would be, well, this is much, much worse, but I could just imagine driving across country to Disneyland, hearing my kids saying, where are we going? Are we there yet? And then I get there and I can't go in. Like, how frustrating would that be? This is Moses' situation. This is a big moment and he can't go in. Why not? Why is it that he can go up onto a mountaintop and look at the land that is about to be possessed, but he can only see it from afar? What did Moses do? God says... It's because he broke faith with him in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. So let's look back at that moment when what happened there. You find the story in the book of Numbers, chapter 20. Numbers, chapter 20, verse 1. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness? That we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt and bring us to this evil place? Is there no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates? And and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of the meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. And you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord As he commanded him, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock 
And he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. And through them, he showed himself holy. See, God tells Moses, I want you to go and I want you to speak to this rock. You tell the rock to bring water forth. Moses instead takes his staff and he strikes the rock twice and water comes out. Why did Moses do that? Was God unclear? Did, he, did Moses, who had been with God face to face, had heard him more closely than anyone else, did he, how did he miss that? I think the reason he missed it is because he had been there before. There's a very similar situation that happens, and you find it in Exodus chapter 17. This isn't the first time that Moses has been surrounded by complaining people wanting water. In Exodus chapter 17, we read these words. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall we do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elder of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? The two accounts with some similarities, right? And here's some of their similarities. One was in the desert of Zin with a Z. The other's in the desert of Sin with an S, right? It's two different locations, but similar pronunciations. In both settings, there was a problem, and the problem was lack of water. In both settings, the people are quarreling to and with Moses. In both settings, Moses goes before the Lord praying for a solution. And in both settings, God tells Moses to take his staff and to go before the people to a rock. I think the main reason Moses disobeyed was the similarities in the two situations. Perhaps Moses felt as though he had dealt with this before, that he knew what to do, that he struck the rock before and water came forth. And that's what he had to do again. Strike the rock with this staff that God had given him. He would strike the rock and he would solve the problem. He'd been there before. Maybe it was because Moses was around 120 years old when this happened. That, uh, that he decided to do it the old way. I'm, 
I'm told that as we get older, the older we get, the more set we become in our ways. Those of you older than me, is it true? Yeah? All right? Um, maybe that's it. He's just like, listen, I'm 120. I know what to do. Been leading for a while. We're going to strike the rock. Maybe it was because he was under pressure from the people to produce. I mean, a common experience for all leaders is that people want results. See, God wants from his leaders faith, but people, they want results. I can, I can hear the people grumbling, saying, ah, it's time for new leadership. Moses is old. He thinks he's following God, but would God want us to be out here in the desert with no water? Moses isn't able. He's not capable. It's time for new leadership. Moses, the results are in. Your approval rating is at an all-time low. It's time for a new approach to providing water. That's what he's like. We better, like, God says, I want you to do something new. Speak to the rock. He's like, I need to produce. I'm going to strike the rock. Moses, look at the number of thirsty, unhappy people. An effective leader would have better numbers. If you don't make something happen, people will start voting with their feet. They might walk all the way back to Egypt. See, numbers as a leader, they can be good or bad. Numbers can validate. They can also implicate. For whatever reason, Moses, God tells Moses to speak to the rock. And Moses goes up and he strikes the rock twice. Now, I want you to notice, though. God provides water both times. Why does God allow water to come forth the second time? I mean, this is a miraculous water occurrence. You just don't beat up rocks and get water out of them. That's just not how, it, just not how they're made. Um, so, so Moses needs God to act on this. Why didn't God let Moses swing at that rock a hundred times until Moses got good and tired and said, you know what, I'm going to do it your way, God. God let him strike it twice. And he brought forth water. You know what this teaches me? That God will still provide for his people in spite of a chosen leader's disobedience. Like, like, like yours and my disobedience doesn't change God's love for his people. God still provided. But oh, how we tend to repeat the mistakes of Moses. See, it's natural for a leader to review past successes and failures when presented with a problem. I mean, that just seems like wisdom. Look at what happened in the past. Did it work? Did it not work? Let's review it. And, and God does not have a problem with his leaders pursuing solutions and results, nor does he have a problem with a leader learning and acting from what has been experienced in the past. Unless, of course, God shows you that he wants to work in a new way. This is what we read. God calls him to work in a new way. Numbers 20. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock 
before their eyes to yield its water. See, God doesn't have a problem with his leaders pursuing results, but God desires for his leaders and his people to walk by faith. See, God is always leading his people in ways that develop and build trust. I, I wish in my own life that like God has shown me over and over again that he is able to provide. I really wish that it's like, okay, Bob's learned that lesson. I don't have to put him in a situation where he has to trust me to provide. No, he's constantly doing that. It just doesn't work like that. The uh, faith in God is just not always on a up and to the right pattern. Right? He's always going to be leading us to learn how to, to trust him. And here they are again. Trust God and how he, and God will provide. So we each, we got these things that come into our lives that are beyond our capacity to fix, like providing water in a desert. And then God directs and God provides and we learn to trust in God's provision and care. Our problem is we humans, we try to systematize things. We try to reduce God's provision to a formula. That way, the next time we need a miracle, we've got the steps already written out. If you do this, this, and this, and this, then God will give you what you need. And that's what we try to do. But God doesn't want us to learn to trust in the system. He wants us to learn to trust in him. It's so easy to end up trusting your experiences. Um, and, And when we systematize things, we end up trusting our experience rather than the God who gave us the experience. Our experiences from God are meant to teach us to trust God. All right? Don't miss the two. I'm going to trust in the God who gave the experience, not in the experience. That's why there's so much conflict in churches over the prospect of change. And I'm sure some of you have been there. Because we inadvertently trust in the work. And we we inadvertently trust in what worked before rather than the God who was in the work. So people argue over songs. Because when God first worked in their life. They were singing victory in Jesus. Therefore, if you want God to work in people's lives, you need to sing victory in Jesus because that's what worked for me. Other folks are, well, well, well when, when I first started taking God seriously, when God first started working in my life, we were at youth camp and the lights were down and the volume was up and, and they were singing songs from David Crowder. If you really want people to, 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 to connect with God, you need to sing songs loudly with the lights down and they got to come from guys like David Crowder. You know, water, water in a desert is not likely a problem that you and I will face. But, but here's a problem that every church in every age has faced. And it's the ever-present problem of motivating people to grow spiritually. And so we're like, well, this is what worked when I first took God seriously. So that's what they need to do now. Well, that's fine to review that. But really, we need to learn to trust in God. Not Sunday school or Awanas or some other program that's out there. They're all good. God works. But, but it's important that we learn to trust God and, and, and seek Him. Because this problem of... Um, Motivating people to uh, 
to, to spiritual growth, that that's not a new problem. There are solutions that have worked in the past. And people naturally assume that the manner that God worked in before is the only manner that God works in. And I've heard people even spiritualize this, this approach. And they'll say things like, well, the, the reason we have to do things the exact same way they did before is because God never changes. All right. Malachi 3, 6 says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God does not change. Numbers 23, something similar. Uh, Numbers 23, 9. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said he will not do it or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? Hebrews 13, 7 and 8 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. All right. The the fact that God never changes is a very important truth. All right. We ought to be thankful that God never changes. Put that on your list of Thanksgiving thanks. Okay. Uh, See, God is good and loving. What if God changed? And became evil and acted out of hate. An all-powerful God who's all of a sudden evil? We would be in big trouble. It's a good thing that God never changes. And that he is good and he is loving. The immutability of God is one of the most overlooked and underappreciated aspects of God. The fact that he doesn't change is as we would say in my mama's native tongue, muy importante. But it is not a reason that we should never sing a new song or use a new technology. If you've ever thought that, that the unchanging nature of God was reason to resist change in ministry, then allow me to remind you the first thing about God that we learn in Scripture. The first characteristic of God that we learn in Scripture is that God is a creator. Do you think that changed? Do you think the unchanging God is no longer in the creating um, business? I don't think so. I think that's why he brings Moses to a similar problem and says, all right, you, you struck the rock once. Now let's do it a different way. Speak to the rock. The creator. God is a creator. God makes things new and he has not changed which is why when Moses came to God with an old problem, God gave him a new solution. On the flip side of this change thing, I've seen people argue in church about changes. I've seen other folks who want to change present the idea of if, that if we would just do it this new way, we would enter into the promised land. I remember I was at a church in Longview, Texas that was resistant to doing life groups. All right, They were a very traditional church. Didn't want to do life groups. And we had these folks, they wanted to do life groups. And they sat there and said, if we would just do life groups, I've done life groups. It's the promised land. We would just change. We would be in the promised land. You need to know this. Change does not always lead to the promised land. God does. And by the way, when Israel entered into the promised land, there was a 500-year struggle to take possession of the land. Okay, We like to think that promised land means that we can relax and take it easy. No, it just means there's a new 
work and a new struggle and new ways to learn to trust God. So, if you have opportunity to lead, and we all, all have some degree of leadership that we're called to. All right? Know this. God wants faith. People want results. And you get to lead in the midst of that tension. And my, I would implore you to choose to walk by faith. Don't get sucked into um, people's demands. You follow God's leadership. Right? Some great lessons to learn from our fallen heroes. God uses flawed people. Sometimes in our churches, we want, we want the church to be so sanitized that nobody could ever make a mistake. The greats made mistakes. Moses did. David did. Jonah did. Elijah did. It might be good that we recognize the greatness of God in the midst of the failings of each other and give each other grace. I also need to learn that your mistakes are not final. God continues to use his chosen. They will suffer consequences. We all suffer consequences. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. But God, your, with God, your mistakes are not final. And lastly, and I've already said this, God requires faith from each of us. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's been a great study to look at what God does in these fallen and messed up folks because he is a great God. I'm excited about what's coming next because uh, I don't want you to start thinking about, um, oh no, what if I make a mistake? What if I make a mistake? Because we looked at all these mistakes. Um, in the summertime, uh, the series that God's placed on my heart is the God of the Comeback. And I know that in this place, a lot of you have been through things. Things have happened to you. And we're going to look at this God who is the God of the comeback um, and how the gospel fuels that. But let me close with this. At this juncture in time, Is we're all called to walk by faith. Where is your faith? Is your faith in what you've experienced in the past? Because you can reference it. You can almost see it and touch it. Or is your faith in the person of Jesus Christ? You know, the Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. See, God gives us salvation. None of us deserve it. You can't work for it. You can't systematize it. You just receive it by faith. Right? The Bible says that we walk by faith 
not by sight. What about you right now? Where does God want you to grow in your faith? Are you going through something right now that's testing it? That God may be teaching you to trust him in a new way. We all want to relax in the promised land. Just not there. Just not there. How's God wanting you to grow today? What step of obedience is God leading you to walk in? That's where you're going to walk in his provision. With his presence. It's not easy, but it's far better than the alternative. Let me pray for you. Encourage you. To know this God. Seek him. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your servant Moses. And uh, you used him greatly. And um, may we learn from his, from his life to let you guide and direct our steps according to your will and your ways. Father, thank you that in the past you've shown yourself faithful. But Father, may we always look to you to provide in the manner that you want to. Father, you get to call the shots and we get to worship you for being such a good and gracious God. Father, I pray for each person here today that, that they would continue to grow in faith and obedience to you. And I know each one of them you have a step for. And it's not the same as mine. Each unique to where we are all at. Thank you for loving us as we are. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.